This is Horsepower Happenings. Tear up the body panel, fine. You know, even Ben knows, you could have destroyed the whole race car, if not worse. I don't have any problem racing each other and trading paint and moving people. I mean, that's it's a short track bull ring. This right. is not Daytona. From the MCRP studios in the Motor City. But I do know also one thing. By the time I'm his age, I'll have more than 100 wins, and I promise you that. With Zach Heiser. Fager leads him down on the bottom side of the racetrack. Moyer trying to make something happen on the top shelf. Big run. He'll cross over now down the back straight lane into turn number three. Moyer puts the binders on Fager nearly on the bike. And Rich Frank. Any progress, Zach, that they made on the last stop, they ruined on this one. So now they're really trying to get this thing off the ground. From the Motor City Racing Promotion Studios. Hey, guys, this is Ford Hodge. This is three-time dirt car UMP national champion, Rusty Schlink. This is Bobby Santos. This is Travis Stemler. This is Travis Brady. This is Andrew Shai. David Melky. Josh Fry. Ryan Rule. And this is Horsepower Happenings. Good evening, race fans, and welcome in to Horsepower Happenings. It is March 2nd. That means racing in the region happens this month. In the meantime, preparations are still underway across the Great Lakes for 2020. More on that coming up in just a few moments. But first, let's take a look at some things that are happening in a Motor City Minute. Alex Bowman put on a California clinic Sunday afternoon, winning the Auto Club 400 after leading 110 of 200 laps for his second career Cup Series victory. His first came last season at Chicagoland. For the second straight week, three Toyota racing teams were handed down penalties from NASCAR. In Las Vegas, it was Denny Hamlin's number 11, Kyle Busch's number 18, and Christopher Bell's number 95. This week in California, Queue up Hamlin, Bush, and Eric Jones's number 20 for pre-race violations. Before that, it was Martin Truex Jr. who had to start at the tail after missing qualifying due to multiple inspection failures for a clean sweep of Joe Gibbs Racing. 17-year-old Canadian standout Antonio Ciravelli will move up the road to Indy Ladder System to pilot the HMD Motorsports number 11 in the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires in 2020. And with less than two laps to go, Mike Skeen grabbed the lead following a restart at Sebring International Raceway en route to the Trans Am Series TA2 season opening event Sunday. Skeen drove to a nearly half-second win ahead of Cameron Lawrence and Rafa Matos. That and so much more happening tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Welcome in. I'm Zach Heiser. Rich France does not sit across from me tonight. It is Scott Menlin, the president of Motor City Racing Promotions, general manager of Nashville Speedway. And uh, we're in the studios in Sterling Heights. Scott, welcome to your first gig as a broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm not uh, not used to being on this side of the office, but uh, I like it over here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You got the headset on and uh, we're ready to roll. Yeah, well, let's take a look at some headlines. The future of Sprints on Dirt became a little more clear last week as a statement was issued announcing the intentions of the historic touring series. Questions were raised after it was announced that the iCar Modifieds were no longer and had been replaced with the Midwest Modifieds, and that former promoter, Dave Mazzello, was out. Mazzello was also listed as the director for SOD, leading to speculation that both series would see the same fate. SOD owner Ed Kennedy said in a release on Friday that SOD would not run in 2020, with the exception of one sanctioned event at the end of the year where they plan to release their revised plan and strategy for 2021. Kennedy said they will take 2020 to refresh the strategy 
and direction of the series to develop towards a strong future. As part of this transition, Saad has parted ways with 2019 series director Dave Mazzello and will immediately begin the search for a visionary leader that can develop and execute our plans for the future, and, says Mr. Kennedy. And, of course, uh, you know, Saad's such a staple in the industry, and, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to see them not run this year, but obviously the hope is that they'll take this season off and they'll come back even stronger and ready to go in 2021. Well, and Sa just has so much history and done mm -hmm. so many great things over the year. And, you know, there's there's a lot of series that uh, trip up a little bit down down the path. But I, I think Saad is very important to our region and uh, looking forward to them getting back on their feet. Absolutely. Kalamazoo Speedway and Berlin Raceway have teamed up to offer the richest opening weekend in history for the Midwest Compact Touring Series. According to a post on the Tour Series Facebook page, Kalamazoo will open their season May 1st with the third annual How Patio and Windows Compact Clash, paying $1,000 to the winner. Then on May 2nd, head to Berlin for another $1,000 affair. The first Midwest-sanctioned event, though, of the season will be the Luck of the Irish 250 Enduro from M40 Speedway on March 14th. Obviously that, not a point-paying event for the uh, touring part of the series. A little bit later on in the year, on Saturday, July 18th, the JEG CRA All-Stars Tour presented by Chevrolet Performance 10,000 to win Masters of the Pros 150 will take on a couple of new twists for the 2020 edition of the event. For the first time ever, the event will take place at the famed Nashville Fairground Speedway in Nashville, Tennessee, and the event will have promotional sanctionings from Show Me the Money Series, or Show Me the Money Late Model Series from Montgomery Motor Speedway. CRA managing partner R.J. Scott said Nashville will be the perfect place for this event to be held. The track has tons of history and the city has become a destination place with all the great food and entertainment establishments. 2020 will be the eighth edition of the Masters of the Pros. Previous winners include NASCAR Cup Series competitor Chase Elliott in 2013, Anderson Bowen won in 14, John Hummer and Mimacek 2015 and 16 winner, Cole Williams, Nashville Fairground Speedway regular won at 2017, all of those races took place at Lebanon I-44 Speedway. The event then moved to Michigan, where Bubba Pollard took the victory in 2018, and then won again one year ago, 2019, when the event was held at Memphis International Raceway. This year's Masters of the Pros 150 is slated for Saturday, July 18th in Nashville. Well, let's head out west for some winged uh, sprint car racing, besting a stout field of 51 drivers at Canyon Speedway Park. The first payday of the 2020 season with the Lucas Oil American Sprint Car Series uh, went to Oklahoma's Matt Covington with the Lucas Oil A-Rock Material number 95 leading start to finish on the first night of the Sands Chevrolet Meltdown. Having to chase the line around the one-third mile oval as it moved top to bottom through the 25-lap preliminary A feature, Covington held on through several late-race restarts to collect the night's $3,000 paycheck. A side note, Dylan Westbrook, whom we've had on the program uh, just a couple of weeks ago, drove his way to a solid seventh-place finish opening night. On night number two, a narrow groove and slower traffic provided a race for the ages as uh, the battle came down to the checkered flag within the 100-feet mark. They were side-by-side, side, but Sam Haperteef Jr. barely edged Justin Sanders for the Sawblade.com A feature win. Having to contend with lap traffic as the final two turns came into view, Sanders was forced to the middle groove with Haperteef diving as low as possible. Dead even off the final turn, both drivers mashed the throttle with the checkered flag in view, and it would be Haperteef who got the win by just over a tenth of a second. Uh, by the way, Danny Sams III, who we also recently had on the program, he uh, made the show and brought home a 19th place finish with the ASCS. 
Speaking of racing out west, a little bit of uh, movement that way from some of our teams around this area with the Arkham Menard Series headed that way, Scott. Yeah, you know, I got to catch the Arkham Menard Series West race on NBC Sports Gold Track Pass, which is awesome. Great coverage. Oh, yeah. that's uh, I'm going to be glued to that all year long, I think. But And, and it was... Uh, it was a pretty good race. Sam Mayer kind of ran away with it a little <laughs> yeah, bit, a little I bit. think you could say. But it, it, there was still some quality racing from, from the Bullring in Vegas. And, and Sam Mayer, of course, also won the Arc Menards East Series race at New Smyrna for the season opener during Speed Week. So he's on a, on a roll right now, and he's going to be looking to make it three in a row out in Phoenix coming up this weekend, this Friday, March the 6th, 5 p.m. local. 7 o'clock start on FS1, so we'll yep. be tuning into that on Friday. But the Arc Menard series, I think they've they've got something going on right now. There, there seemed to be a lot of excitement down in Speed Weeks. Daytona was a pretty good show, which Michael Self won, and then they moved to New Smyrna, which New Smyrna had the biggest crowd in years yeah. for the Arc Menard series race there. So I thought that that was really encouraging and, and was a good sign of things to come. I know we're excited for it down at Nashville, being we've got the Arkham Menard Series on the weekend of May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, mm-hmm. uh, paired with USAC and CRA, and that's going to be a big one. But Which I have circled on my calendar. Yeah. That is going to be an awesome event. That's uh, that's going to be a huge show. And, of course, the uh, Arkham Menard Series is going to Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola, Florida, for the Pensacola 200 on March 14th. So a lot of ARCA racing now uh, between FS1 and NBA sports gold track pass you can catch all of that action but i just think it's some some really good things for arca some good things for nascar again it's kind of that cross between the grassroots and and the big three the arca series and it was it was uh special i think to be a part of to be down at new smyrna uh, i was standing with uh, with another promoter on pit road uh, just as driver intros were going on and the grandstands were filling up which the program started late due to oh. due to some things that happened during the day that just put them behind schedule which Thank goodness, because not everybody would have made it wow. in in time. There was just that many people there. And, and when's was... the last time you've seen that happen? You know, I'm not trying to be prejudiced. And again, you work for a pavement racetrack, so I, you know, we got to be careful. But when's the last time you've really seen a pavement racetrack fill out for an event like that? You know, you still get your major national events, the Snowball Derby, the Winchester 400, uh, and, and some of those. And, and I know on the dirt side of it, we're going to talk to Tom Deary here pretty soon. And Tom's been a part of some huge events. And so it, it definitely still happens on the short track level. It happens year after year after year uh, but the first time it's happened at New Smyrna in quite a while and just just standing there looking up at the full house people had their cameras out taking pictures yeah. you could see the little flash bulbs and uh, it was it was special and and a bit rewarding to to see for all the work that you know that that a lot of us and so many of us uh, put in whether us as officials or promoters or fans or drivers to see a successful event like that was pretty special and uh, hopefully that's going to carry into Pensacola here on the 14th and Nashville on the 2nd. You, you mentioned the Arkham and Ard series and uh, just briefly, um, what a promotable series right now. A mm-hmm. lot of young talent. Uh, it's really easy to get hung up on Haley Deegan. I think uh, rightfully so. She's shown a lot of talent. She's shown some driving style that people haven't necessarily enjoyed, but it's it's a style of racing and she's made it work. Um, but a lot of, you mentioned Michael Wayne Self uh, in there, or Michael Self, I'm sorry, and uh, you know him being very talented as well. There's just a lot of talent in the Arkham and Ard series right now. 
There is, and it. I, I think over the years it could be kind of tough to keep up on just because some of the drivers move through there so fast. Mm. But I feel like the, the coverage with NASCAR's involvement, plus ARCA's always done a really good job, but just the added extra involvement from NASCAR and NBC, and you can really follow it. You can be engaged as, as a fan with the series, and uh, I think that's that's so important and, and part of the reason why I'm so excited for the ARCA Menard series this year. Well, it wouldn't be a Horsepower Happenings without one of our segments. Here's the deal, and not only is Scott Menlin uh, going to be a part of that, but we've interrupted the vacation of our own Rich France only because he really wanted to do the Here's the Deal segment this week. Rich, uh, welcome in from sunny Florida. Thanks, Zach. Having a good time. Uh, I only have one complaint, and I'm trying to figure out how this happened. I left the house Friday morning, uh, six-degree wind chill when I left. Mm-hmm. I'm here today at 73 degrees, and it's 51 in Detroit. How does that work? Hey, mm. sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It was like 55, 55 uh, earlier yeah. today. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice spring I day. The wrong, I took the wrong week, right? Hey, you know what? <laughs> That's on you. That's what you get for going to Florida. We feel no sympathy for you. Um, but it's nice here. Nice here. Right on the beach, having a good time down here. Thanks. Good. good. So, now, here's the deal this week. Uh, last week, we kind of phoned it in. Uh, you know, it wasn't really all that controversial. Not, not a whole lot to talk about. But this week, Rich, what do you have prepared for us? Well, this week, I we, we found this out last week after the show, so or we would have kind of found a way to squeeze it in. But uh, if you remember, uh, after California, uh, Kevin Harvick uh, came up with a bounty for anybody who could beat Kyle Busch in a NASCAR truck series event. Well, that thing has taken a life of its own, uh, really, because then Marcus Lamonis jumped on board after Kevin Harvick put up 50 grand. And uh, he is the Gander RV CEO. And he put up $50,000 for any regular NASCAR Cup Series regular who can get a truck ride and beat Kyle Busch. That is phase one. Phase two third bounty has now been entered into the deal and uh and this was with Stuart Friesen's sponsor Helmar International uh his sponsor uh Chris Larson put up $50,000 for NASCAR truck series regulars to uh if they can beat Kyle Busch now there are stipulations but uh boy this this kind of makes everything interesting the next uh, couple of months in the truck series. Yeah, now let's break this down. Uh, this kind of all started after the race, the truck series race at Las Vegas, where Kyle Busch... Las Vegas, yes, that's correct. Where, where Kyle Busch won for like the eighth time in a row or something at Las Vegas in a truck. And the conversation kind of started on Twitter where... Everybody was a little bit tired of seeing Kyle Busch, uh, one of the winningest drivers in NASCAR, definitely one of the uh, Hall of Fame nominees for when he's done come down to the truck series and dominate and uh, really none of the uh, none of the regulars in the truck series get a chance to go to victory lane when Kyle Busch is down there what uh, first off what are your thoughts about that situation rich about about uh, Kyle Busch going down and winning almost every time he's in a truck well the the whole thing started i guess uh, because currently Kyle Busch has won seven straight NASCAR truck series events that he's entered so that's where I think this all this incentive thing also starts, and it and I think it's fun. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick obviously understands how good Kyle Busch is. Uh, you know, he didn't say go out and wreck him and go win the money. Um, that's not that's not the uh, that's not how this thing works. But I think it makes it makes it fun actually. As a promoter, Scott Menlin, um 
the truck series is intended to be that stepping ground to really start the competition, be on these bigger tracks with the NASCAR sanction. Um, a couple of years ago, NASCAR said, okay, we're going to put a limit on you Cup Series guys who can run Xfinity races and Truck Series races. Um, and so a couple of years ago, the push was, we want Cup guys out. Now there's this whole bounty situation where we want Cup guys to come back and compete with Kyle Busch. Isn't that what we're getting on Sundays? Are Cup guys competing with Kyle Busch? What's the difference here? Well, I definitely think it's, it is different. And the, the Truck Series of the big three is the closest you're going to get to more of a grassroots feel, mm -hmm. right? And and Rich, I mean, let's think back in the day a little bit at Saturday night short tracks across the country. This bounty concept wasn't all that unusual, yeah, was it? Yeah, very good. No, no, we've had it. Uh, you know, there's been bounties. And even back in the day when I was racing, there was a bounty going at Flat Rock Speedway that, that got quite interesting. Um, I mean, so it. anybody who thinks this is the first time this has happened, uh, it surely is. And it happens all over the country. Um it's not as organized all over the country, to be honest with you. When they put a bounty up at a at a short track, I think all bets are off. But uh, but they don't but they don't advertise it a whole lot. It's kind of under the table, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Well, and there were some, uh, you know, from even you know, that you would hear it on the radio at local short tracks. You know, um, you know, so and so versus so and so. Catch it this Saturday night. Who's going to go to victory lane? And um, my question is, and this is something that's been asked by the professionals uh, within our industry who are seeing this week in and week out, why is it all of a sudden okay for these cup guys to come back to the trucks when a couple of years ago we wanted them out of the trucks for the younger talent to do their thing? Th this is completely overshadowing the younger talent that's trying to do their thing and make a name for themselves in the cup series, Rich. Yeah, well, that that's true, Zach, and, I, and, and that's where, I, where Chris Larson comes in. You know, I think he really made it, uh, made it better, this bounty deal, because uh, – Chris Larson, uh, he's with Halmar International. And like I said, they're uh, a sponsor for Stuart Friesen's truck. Um, it now it brings those guys into it. So now it's a now it's open to anybody. Um, if you're a Cup Series regular, or if you're a Truck Series a weekly Truck Truck Series driver registered, uh, you everybody is involved in this bounty and can take advantage of it. And I don't have a problem with that. And let's remember, too, that this has to be approved by NASCAR. Any NASCAR-sanctioned racetrack who wants to add extra money to the purse, that has to be approved by the sanctioning body. That has been done, so there will be no hang-up for the this bounty to go through. Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson are your two drivers who are going to be uh, chasing that bounty as of right now. And uh, they're going to race for GMS Racing in uh, their respective tracks, which is going to be Homestead, Miami, for Kyle Larson, and then it's going to be uh, Chase Elliott, who is going to be uh, racing in the GMS uh, Hooters sponsored number 24. He'll be in Atlanta and at Kansas. Uh, these are two drivers who race with Kyle Busch on a regular basis. How come there's not this bounty happening with Kyle Busch in the NASCAR Cup Series? <laughs> well, if you've watched how Kyle Busch has performed so far in 20, 2020, it's not very impressive. So uh, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. He hasn't won seven straight Cup Series races, and I don't think he ever will. Uh, th you know, this is all about his dominance in the Truck Series and how dominant he's been, um, you know, in the Xfinity Series as well, to be honest with you. But let's just touch on this real, real quick because we haven't touched on it. The rules for this bounty for the Cup Drivers Act. All right. First of all, on the Cup side, that's Kevin Harvick and Marcus Lemonis, their bounty, $100,000. 
drivers must run full-time in the NASCAR Cup Series. So they, th- that is not for any Truck Series drivers or any Xfinity Series drivers. Winning is not required. You don't need to win the event. They just need to finish ahead of Kyle Busch. Okay, not a bad deal there. Uh, it must be done in 2020, so it's only for the 2020 season in one of the races that Kyle is entered. So they can't enter a race that Kyle Busch isn't in and win and collect the bounty. That doesn't work. And the biggest thing of the of the uh, bounty rules, in my opinion, you cannot crash Kyle Busch. It's a pretty big rule. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that would be that would be the, be the easy way to get out of it. It could get awfully ugly and nasty. So I would think that has to be in there. Uh, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Basically, those rules mean you have to go out, race him, and you better beat him. As we as we wrap up this portion of Here's the Deal, because there's one other NASCAR subject that I want to touch on tonight. Um, Scott, would this work in the Cup Series? Or is the competition level too high in the Cup Series? Because as Rich said, Kyle Busch is not winning every time that he's in the, in the uh, Cup Series races. So would this sort of promotion, which is really what this is, would that mm-hmm. work in, in the Cup or Xfinity Series for that matter? I don't know. I think the, the stakes might be a little bit different on the Cup level versus mm-hmm. the truck level. I mean, they're all obviously very important, very competitive, but uh, it just might be a little bit different. But I, I just think back to several years ago now, probably Texas Motor Speedway consistently year after year for a little while, there was their promotions was putting two drivers against each other as a rivalry. Now, there was no bounty or anything like that, mm-hmm. but that, that rivalry promotion uh, was, was certainly there. So I don't know. I don't know if yeah. that would work or not. The other thing that, that appears odd to me is the fact that Kyle Busch continuously is almost the sole driver that is going back to the trunk series. I wonder how much that has to do with the fact that he owns a team and, you know, it's been well documented. Look at Brad Keselowski. He owned a team. He had to fold it up because it wasn't making any money. And he was winning races and championships with his drivers. Uh, Rich, is this a case where Kyle goes back to this truck series as many times as he can because he needs to put the money, the winnings back into his team? Or does he just really like to drive race cars and win races? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, why, do you, why does he jump in a late model a couple of weeks ago and win, an, win a super late model event? Because he wants to sell rowdy race cars. Um, you know, that's exactly, for that reason, that's why he does it. Um, I don't think he needs trucks. I don't think he needs super late models. But I think it's, it's a 50-50 deal. He happens to be building chassis now. And uh, if he wants to sell chassis, his cars have to win. And it's a whole lot easier for those cars to win when he's behind the wheel. I think you may disagree a little bit. You kind of shook your head uh, no against wanting to make money, but yes against maybe he just wants to drive race cars. Well, I, yeah, I, I think he definitely just wants to drive race cars. I mean, he does a lot of races when you compare his schedule to some of the other cup guys. But isn't it ironic, too, that a couple of the guys that are participating in the bounty, Chase Elliott and, and Kyle Larson, in my opinion at least, are both short track racers, yeah. uh, as I think uh, Kyle Busch is. And, and he does a lot to support short track racing at the grassroots level. And uh, I just uh, I think he's a racer who uh, really supports auto racing. Let's talk twofold now. NASCAR uh, Cup Series announced today that uh, along with their uh, next-gen car in 2021, not only will it be a completely different car look, it'll also be different in the technological side, that being the wheels that the car will have on it. Uh, those four corners now are no longer going to have five lugs and a steel wheel. They're going to have an aluminum wheel with a single lug and a single lug nut 
very similar to what we see in IndyCar, for example, Formula One, and a lot of tour-type race cars. Uh, Rich, I think for the most part, NASCAR fans are not very um, well to flow with change, and this is another example where uh, they're changing a major part of the sport. Granted, it's just wheels and tires, but uh, th there's a little bit of backlash about this situation that just was released today. Well, in, in my opinion, and, and I'm not the F1 guy, you know, the guy sitting across from you really is. Oh, we're going to get his opinion coming up in a minute. <laughs> but I mean, what what are we? What's the next thing? We're gonna we're gonna plug in uh, nitrogen and just jack these things up, and now we got three second F1 pit stops. I mean, that's that's really where we're heading, right, Zach? I mean, is that what it sounds like? So, as a NASCAR fan, um, which again, the majority of what I do, NASCAR, yes, uh, Scott is kind of the more um, liberal, if you will, and, and use that term lightly, liberal on the racing side of things as to what you watch. What, what, why is that a bad thing? Why are the nitrogen stops a bad thing where they're in and out in a couple of seconds? You still I, have to be, I, you still have to be very precise on what you're doing in order for it to go well. Well, are they going to say still seven people, or can you put fourteen people around a car like they do in F one? <laughs> so what is the I mean, what? What's the I mean, protocol? It's a whole, it, it is a whole different ball game. But you have to leave something separate. You have to have your own identity. Mm. And when and when now now you're going with the single lugs like the F1 cars or or like the Indy cars, um, you know where where does it stop? That's my that that's that would be my next question. Where does it stop? Are they going to take this further to where now a pit stop really isn't going to be a pit stop to where can somebody beat somebody out of the pits when they're all going to be done within tenths of a second of each other? Uh, I don't think I don't think that is is what NASCAR is looking for. I sure hope not. What are your thoughts on this? As somebody who you're you're an avid fan of the uh, open wheel racing and the tour mm -hmm. type racing, um, who who has seen this for years uh, work in the other sanctions. What are your thoughts about this? Well, I think it's it's all about scale. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, pit stops matter in Formula One or IndyCar just like they do in NASCAR. Uh, it's just a different scale. Uh, you know, a tenth of a second is a big difference when everybody as rich said is within two or three seconds at a at a pit stop the the percentage wise is actually much greater uh so it's definitely a, a different scale uh it's it is it is certainly some change but you know rich uh, i think you and i have both seen air jacks in late model pit areas at the short tracks haven't mm -hmm. we well well i don't have a problem with that my problem is i i like the uh pit stops in the cup series or in, in, in NASCAR the way they are, because you have to have jacks. You can have a lug nut fall off. You can, a, a car can fall off the jack stand and you have to be on your game or you could lose spots down pit road. Uh, you move on like F how many, how many cars in F1 really lose spots on pit road? I would say very few. Yeah, it, it happens, but usually it's because of an error. But, I mean, just think about the, preci the precision that's required to do a pit stop in 2.7 seconds. <laughs> uh, you know, whether that's six guys or, or ten guys. Uh, or 14 I, guys. <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw a video, 14 guys over an F1 pit stop. I was like, oh, geez. So here's my thing. Back when, uh, again, a couple of years ago, the NASCAR Cup Series went to fuel injection. Then they followed that up with a digital dashboard. Now they're following that up with a what I explained earlier as a mix between a cup car and like a GT car. And then they're going with the aluminum wheels, with the spokes, and now the single lug. 
My concern is, and this is what I've seen a couple of people voice, that NASCAR needs its own identity again. And they, as Rich, I think you tried to make the point earlier, as they're searching for a new identity, it feels like they are taking on the identity of, of other successful racing organizations. Uh, because as we've heard a couple of times, if you want to see a sold-out crowd right now, you're going to go to an Indy or a Formula One race where it's standing room only. Right, but I, I think... You know, I'm on the board with the you have to have your own identity. And NASCAR's identity for 30 or 40 years now has been good old American racing. Leave some of the American in it and let the international guys do it on their own. What do you think about the identity well, crisis? You, you could almost argue. I mean, this this car, and, and we're looking at it right now in, in the studio, it's got street appeal, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I mean, it looks more and more like a street car, which I think we've seen a, a little bit over the years, especially with the new wheels. So if this is stock car mm-hmm. racing, uh, is it going back a little bit more to a yeah. stock car? As at least looks are concerned. One of the cries well, on well, social you, media. You, guys, one you, guys, of, you remember the you remember the failure of the F one IndyCar wing that they tried in NASCAR, right? Uh, that thing's long gone. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Well, to Scott's so point, that that failed massively. <laughs> to Scott's point, though, a lot of the cry on social media has been, "We want to go back to win on Sunday and sell on Monday." Um, so is that is this part now the aluminum wheels maybe a part of that the one lug is not going to be but maybe as scott's trying to make the point this is this is another push to try and get a vehicle on track that looks more like what you're going to have uh on on the streets um unfortunately right now though i think that your gt classes and your uh, your trans am series have that really locked down um so i don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens i think though that there are a lot of similarities between nascar and other racing organizations right now i'm gonna go and go i'm gonna go ahead and say that i'm on the side of things where nascar needs to find their own identity and uh and and quit quit trying to take the ideas that have worked for other places i i think that um that where would nascar go after this the same steering wheels that they run in f1 where you don't even have to make a pit stop to adjust the car Uh, well as i I said they've got the digital dashboard where the crew chief can now look exactly at how the engine is is tuned so, yeah, but they but but they can't tighten the car, or loosen the car too much. Uh, they do have a a little bit of an adjustment, um, you know, on the track bar, but they run out of space. There's a whole lot more technology in an F1 car and an Indy car. The only reason they ever really have to come down pit road is to get tires and get fuel. Well, That's it. Maybe if one day they didn't have to get either one. They'd be all right. Maybe one day, Rich, they'll figure out how to not have to do that too, and then you can really be angry. <laughs> uh, Rich, electronic cars, Zach. Uh, they already have them. They already have them in the works. So, Rich, we appreciate you uh, taking some time off of your vacation to join us for the "Here's the Deal" segment. And uh, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for chopping it up with us a little bit. Yeah, nice talking to you guys. Have some fun and. Uh, Maybe I'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. We have to take a break. When we come back, we are going to call up someone who may be on any, uh, a little bit of an extended vacation because, well, they're no longer working in one particular role. We'll talk more with Tom Deary coming up. On the other side, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Horsepower Happenings. The Motor City 200 is coming back for a third try on Saturday, April 25th from Flat Rock Speedway. The first can't-miss event of the year features a season-opening 100 laps for Champion Racing Association's JEGS CRA All-Stars Tour. Also on the card for the first time since 2007, Modifies will battle wheel-to-wheel with 75 laps at the historic speedway. The Victory Custom Trailers CRA Junior Late Model Series opens their sophomore season with 25 laps around the Metro Detroit Bowl Ring. 
the Motor City 200, Saturday, April 25th, from Flat Rock Speedway, a Motor City Racing Promotions event. For more information, log on to MotorCity200.com. Suspension Max is a service and solution-based manufacturer of automotive suspension and specialty parts. Based out of Bay City, Michigan, the local company began servicing clients in 2002. Suspension Max serves the automotive aftermarket as well as engineers and produces specialty suspension components for original equipment manufacturers and government contracts. Learn more about what they can do for you at SuspensionMax.com or call 1-888-629-9226. Suspension Max, the leveling kit experts. Call sounds from race control. Hello, yellow, yellow, bottom of one. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Top motorsport sanctions rely on the elite team of industry professionals for Motor City Racing Promotions to respond. Highly trained men and women in uniform systematically arrive on scene with their advanced fleet of safety vehicles equipped for the toughest jobs. Hours of annual training and practice are executed with precision as the task is rapidly performed in unison. Each official on the MCRP safety team is SFI certified in short track incident response and demonstrates a comprehensive background in motorsports, firefighting, and emergency medical services. It is their own appreciation of this sport and its growing need for professional motorsports rescue that has been the catalyst behind MCRP safety team's impeccable portfolio. For more information on Motor City Racing Promotion Safety Team, log on to MotorCityRacing.co and look for the MCRP badge at a track near you. This is three-time dirt car UMP national champion Rusty Schlink, and you're listening to Horsepower Happenings. Welcome back to Horsepower Happenings. Zach Heiser, Scott Menlin across the table. It's so weird to say that, and we're already like over halfway into the show. And uh, it's all right. I'll get Rich back soon. We'll both be of ease when that <laughs> happens. Um, but uh, excited to have on the phone lines tonight uh, a guy who made some really big headlines over the uh, last week or so. Tom Deary joins us. Uh, you may not necessarily recognize that name if you're not behind the scenes in auto racing, but uh, uh, Tom was the, the guy kind of behind it all with World Racing Group. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Hey, great to be on there, and uh, thanks for having me. Now, Tom, uh, let's just get right into the top of the program and, and talk about the fact that uh, after 14 years, man, uh, no longer going to be the coup, as I like to say, the CEO, Chief Operations uh, of the World Racing Group. Talk about that, man. That's a big decision. It sure uh, sure is a big change, um, and really, when uh, when you have this these type of situations, you look back and reflect, and We've uh, we've got a, a great number of accomplishments and a lot of uh, wonderful people that we've dealt with over the years. And boy, this is just uh, um, I'm going to reflect back on all those days with the great fond memories. Now, 14 years, that's a that's a great tenure to do anything. Um, I think the question remains, was it just time for you or, or what led to this decision? Well, there it's, um, yeah, I guess it was time. Um, you know, it's, uh, motorsports is a, uh, our type of motorsports is a, is a challenging business and there's a lot of personalities that are involved and sometimes, uh, they don't always uh, meet the same point. So, uh, it became the, the time to reflect back on the good things and look forward to the future. Tom, I just want to ask you, as, as you said, over, over 14 years with World Racing Group, you guys have put together 
some very, very big events. Uh, and some of them have been going on for a long time, and, and some of them uh, I think th you guys kind of developed and, and really got them going. And I guess from an uh, events organizer perspective, what do you think makes a big event a big event? Well, that's a great question. And uh, yes, when, when we all came on board 14 years ago, there literally was Super Dirt Week was probably the strongest uh, event that was in our in our schedule. Uh, obviously, the World of Outlaw Sprints, uh, every event that they do is, uh, we like to think, a special event. But part of what our goal was, was to take uh, the products of racing that we had and the experience of the people that we had brought on board and to bring those all together to create meaningful events for the participants, the track owners and the teams. And it really takes all those elements, uh, someone to, to bring the pieces together, the series, the track, the teams with a focus of, of making a special event. And then, you need some luck, you need the right time, and definitely the right venue. And over the years, we've been able to uh, secure all of those pieces and have really come up with some pretty significant racing events that, uh, that are meaningful to short track dirt racing. Yeah, absolutely. There's been some stellar events in the past, and some recently, too, with success at the World Finals and, and Speed Weeks, of course. Looking more from a maybe a, a broader perspective and and you've been involved with so much over the years from weekly racing up north to some nascar events to of course world racing group i think you've seen a seen a lot and have a lot to to, to offer this sport i would say is is, is changing and uh, it's it's very frustrating to hear some people with with a bit of a negative attitude on it as as far as uh, you'll hear the sport is dying and and things like that which i i totally disagree with I, I think that there's some areas of growth, and there's certainly some change. What, what do you what do you kind of think on on that? What are what are some things that are really changing in some areas where there is growth? Well, you're you're right. There is a negative uh, faction, and usually that's driven by the people who just don't like change. And we we have to be aware of and plan on the fact that not only is our customer the fan changing. But our customer, the participant, is changing. And actually, even the operation of a weekly racetrack or a racetrack, that is changing as well. And as an industry, there's things that we need to do to make sure that we're adapting to those changes, taking the best advantage we can of those, and, and moving forward. I, I, I agree. The, the future is different. It's bright. And it's going to take some hard work. But... Uh, as you reflect back, as you as you kind of brought me down memory lane there for a second, <laughs> uh, we went through the we went through the seventies, we went through the the nine eleven days, we went through the economic crash of '08, and and as an industry pulling out of those, still providing the 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 entertainment that we do is uh, says a lot for the strength and the the sustainability of of our of our sports have you been able to as someone who was at the top of the industry in more ways than one as scott mentioned with your time with nascar obviously being at the top of if not the one of the biggest uh, dirt racing organizations in the world 
What have you seen as far as the effect that what you do has on the everyday short track racer? Have you noticed the decisions that you make having an effect down the line? I, I hope they. I hope they have, and and that's that is that uh, there is an element of of planning and professionalism and consciousness of who the customer is and how we're delivering the product to that customer. I believe that it's always been our job as the leaders in the sport to pave the way and maybe show the way. And uh, I believe we've been very successful both at World Racing Group. I thought we were at NASCAR in those days as well to to help a weekly track learn and see what some of the things that we experiment with and how we do them and then put those into their own application at their own venues. You know, one of the things I notice as we talk through this interview is that uh, you continue to use that term we as a very broad broad statement for what I assume to be the entire racing industry. And, and we talk about what we want the future to look like. What does the future look like for you, Tom Deary, in the motorsports world? Well, this has been my entire life. And uh, I have, uh, I, I, now I'm saying I, but I do believe I have... Uh, some pretty significant uh, abilities and qualities that uh, and experiences within this sport. So I hope to be able to bring those to uh, the next opportunity and uh, continue to share and help to do everything that, that I can do to make we grow the sport. Zach, I was fortunate enough to be at the RPM Promoters Workshops back uh, during Speed Weeks, and, and Tom did a great presentation. Cool. That, uh, I think it kind of stole the show, but it was it was uh, very passionate and heartfelt and uh, I think very educational for a lot of people at that at that seminar. And Tom, how, how did you go from starting out at Rockford Speedway and, and, and to the point that you're at now? And, and I guess... How did you, and what was the decision like to, to move out of Rockford and, and go on to more of a national scale? Well, that was probably the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, plus, I had three kids at that time, one of them in high school. But the opportunity at, um, at NASCAR to go to work for Bill France Jr. Uh, presented itself. The weekly program was uh, a great, the, at that time it was the Winston Racing Series, was a great program, great opportunity, and uh, I always felt I was I was trained for that job, and uh, it uh, proved itself out once I got there. Working with Bill France was his passion for the grassroots sports will never be disputed, and that was that created a great opportunity to work for. Unfortunately, during my tenure, we had the the whole. Uh, master settlement agreement that made uh, rj reynolds step away from sponsorship and it really that made a challenge for us but uh, bill france jr and the france family never lost focus on the the weekly short tracks so it was a uh, it was a good time it was a great uh, great opportunity i think anytime that somebody works for nascar the answer to the next question may seem obvious but 
when you're someone who does something for a passion, which is all that motorsport seems to be about, maybe not the case, did you realize when you were stepping stepping away from Rockford that your career was going to do what it did, working with NASCAR and then becoming this uh, this go-to guy that uh, has the biggest you know operation for dirt track racing in the country? Did you realize that that's what you were stepping into? Not at all. Um, I just it's one of those to follow your heart and do what you want to do. And that was, I was given that opportunity, uh, by the, by NASCAR and, and Bill France. So it was one I just, I knew I had to do the people that I learned or the people that I met at, at NASCAR, still some of the greatest people in, uh, in the sport, uh, for passion wise. And the, those relationships really were the springboard that, that let me move on to, to doing other things and continue to grow in the sport. So what did the transition look like from uh, top of the pavement pavement world to 14 years of World of Outlaw and dirt car racing? How did you go from NASCAR to the dirt side? Well, fortunately, the uh, the weekly racing series or Winston racing series, and it's uh, originally, uh, we had a number of dirt tracks. So it wasn't something I was uh, didn't have knowledge of back in, Back in my days at Rockford, uh, John McCarns and I used to promote a number of dirt races at uh, various racetracks around. So I was pretty familiar with the sport, but very familiar with the passion of the people. And whenever you have the opportunity to step into a situation where they've rolled up the World of Outlaws, uh, at that time UMP, Dirt Motorsports from the Northeast, the, the foresight of bringing all those pieces together that's really something that you want to be part of if you think you can have an impact. Hmm. Well, and, and for racers and, and fans who are, are just as important as, as all of us in, in what, we're, what we're trying to do and, and the passion for motorsports, what do you think a, a fan or a racer listening to our program, what, what do you think they can do every day to, to help contribute to making our sport more and more successful? Well, part of the message I delivered in uh, Florida was that we, we all, fans, participants, track owners, officials, and, and just the casual observer, need to change our tone from being negative to positive. If, and we have that opportunity nowadays to do it so freely with social media that that, that transition, and this even goes to... You know, my fellow short track, dirt track fellows who look at NASCAR and say, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's boring. It's a disaster. There's nobody there. We have to stop that messaging. We have to be, no matter what the sport is, no matter what the motorsports is, from drag racing to road racing to F1, we've got to become the agents of positive and that this is really not negative. There's there's way too much good that's done every Friday and Saturday night all across this country at all these short tracks uh, and certainly all the other national events that we should be very proud of because this is what something that we as family members of the racing community uh, have ownership in. And that's that's my theory or my thought is that we've got to become the agents of positive. And yes, there's going to be disagreements. 
you know, that's that's something that you, whenever you're in the management of a series like we've been or I've been over the last number of years, you're always going to create controversy and you're always going to be yelled at because you're the guy in the striped shirt that's making the call. But it doesn't have to be negative. It can be anger. It can be your your opinion, but we can still be positive about the sport. I think a lot of that too, Tom, and you'll probably be able to echo that, is uh, you know people are passionate about what we do, uh, and so people have very passionate opinions um, about how we should do things. And uh, like, like you're saying, I think that if we can channel all that passion into the same uh, general canal, the, the sport's going to really go a long way. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And never lose the passion. We just need to make sure that what we're, how we're expressing our passion needs to be where we're welcoming people and making it something that they would want to be have some interest in well tom as we get ready to wrap up here um you know we kind of asked what your future looked like and you did answer us on that but i'm wondering as we get ready to close out the interview now that maybe you don't have so much going on and maybe you're going to find another role where you do have a lot going on but what are you most looking forward to here now in the 2020 season now that that COO title has been lifted off of you, or is there anything on your radar that you're excited to be able to do now, maybe as a fan? Well, uh, the, the beauty of what I've been doing for the last number of years is I've been able to go to some of the most exciting events there is in, in race, short track racing, paved, dirt, uh, all the way across the board. So that that has very much satisfied my appetite for at least the short term here. Mm. Uh, my, as I look out, I, I have always been a very active and busy person, and uh, looking forward to filling that that uh, that same situation again pretty quick. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to go see my grandkids and uh, enjoy a little bit, but um, I, don't, I don't think you can keep. I don't think I'll be down long. Well, it sounds like some things already may be in the works. And uh, so, Tom, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Congratulations on a very successful 14 years and career prior to that. And, uh, hey, we look forward to seeing what comes down the line for you here in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, guys. A great talking to you, and you all have a, uh, have a great weekend. All right. Sounds good, Tom. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to somebody else who is looking at some change in their future. Chase Ridenauer coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Horsepower Happenings. When the call sounds from race control. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Top motorsport sanctions rely on the elite team of industry professionals for Motor City Racing Promotions to respond. Highly trained men and women in uniform systematically arrive on scene with their advanced fleet of safety vehicles equipped for the toughest jobs. Hours of annual training and practice are executed with precision as the task is rapidly performed in unison. Each official on the MCRP safety team is SFI certified in short track incident response and demonstrates a comprehensive background in motorsports, firefighting, and emergency medical services. It is their own appreciation of this sport and its growing need for professional motorsports rescue that has been the catalyst behind MCRP safety team's impeccable portfolio. For more information on Motor City Racing Promotion Safety Team, log on to MotorCityRacing.co and look for the MCRP badge at a track near you. 
Looking to solve a suspension issue on your current vehicle? Suspension Max is a service and solution-based manufacturer of automotive suspension and specialty parts. Based out of Bay City, Michigan, Suspension Max has been serving the automotive aftermarket as well as engineers since 2002 and produces specialty suspension components for original equipment manufacturers and government contracts. To learn more about what they can do for you, give them a call at 188-629-9226 or go to suspensionmax.com. Suspension Max, the leveling kit experts. The Motor City 200 is coming back for a third try on Saturday, April 25th from Flat Rock Speedway. The first can't-miss event of the year features a season-opening 100 laps for Champion Racing Association's JEGS CRA All-Stars Tour. Also on the card for the first time since 2007, Modifies will battle wheel-to-wheel with 75 laps at the historic speedway. The Victory Custom Trailers CRA Junior Late Model Series opens their sophomore season with 25 laps around the Metro Detroit Bowl Ring. The Motor City 200, Saturday, April 25th, from Flat Rock Speedway, a Motor City Racing Promotions event. For more information, log on to MotorCity200.com. This is Jack Dalsia, third, two-time Jake CRA All-Stars Tour Champion, and this is Horsepower Happening. Welcome back to Horsepower Happening. Zach Heiser, Scott Menlin, hanging out with you on a Monday evening. Thanks so much for being here with us tonight. And uh, we are joined by our second guest on the evening. Uh, it seems like we just talked to this young man, and if you're thinking the same thing, so are we. But the odds are that, uh, well, we had him on the show a couple of months ago. And th- at that time, the future was very much up in the air for uh, Perry, Michigan's Chase Ridenauer. Things have changed in that short amount of time. So, Chase, welcome back to Horsepower Happenings. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know what? The, the the fact of the matter is that when we talked a couple of months ago, everything was up for sale at Ridenauer Racing, and uh, your future was, was in major limbo. You really didn't know what you were going to be able to do in 2020, what the future of your career in general looked like. And then in a, kind of a surprising turn of events for most of the, the racing fans, you announce on Thursday that you are going to be behind the wheel in 2020. Take us through what happened over these last couple of months. Well, you know, um, obviously, as we said in the last interview we had, I w- wasn't really sure, you know, what we were going to, what I was going to do for next year. And at that moment, no opportunities had presented themselves. And I found out through the winter from going, you know, to our Great Lakes Super Sprint banquet and just social media that, um, I already had a ride that I didn't even know about. Um, so I guess really this, I mean, the wheels were kind of turning on this the last couple months. Um, nothing was set in stone. And, um, you know, as TJ Sideways wrote the article when Greg was mentioning that people knew more about what was going on than actually me and him did. So it was kind of funny, but it did work out. And I guess the people that were talking about it were right, but we just, me and Greg Wheeler, um, we sat down and we talked at the banquet a little bit. Not really too much about, you know, teaming up together, but just chatting. I mean, we do that on a regular basis at the racetrack, and I've known him ever since um, 2013 when we bought his whole operation after he got injured in a wreck. Um, but we've, you know, stayed in touch and just been friends from that point on, and it just so happened that. I think the opportunity presented itself to where I was sitting without a ride, and I think he was kind of looking for somebody to put in his car, 
and the two went together, and we met up, um, and everything went from there. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the the interesting part of all of this equation uh, that back in 2013, your career in what I call big sprint car racing, because you made the transition from 600cc micro sprints into the wing sprint car racing in 2013, uh, that was all really jump-started by the opportunity that your team and your family found through Greg Wheeler. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a pretty hectic night. I mean, we went to Butler Speedway. I don't remember exactly the date, but we went there. We just kind of wanted to see, you know, we were talking about getting into full-size sprint cars, of course. Um, we thought that we were exceeding well enough in micro sprints. We were kind of looking for the next step, the new challenge. Um, and it just so happened, we were walking through the pits and just talking to people, and um, we come upon Greg Wheeler and his crew and we got talking and he actually had a backup car that he was, you know, we talked to him about, Hey, we're looking into maybe getting into this. And is there any tips or pointers or, you know, where should we look? What chassis? It, you know, it's still open wheel racing, but the difference between a micro and a full size sprint car, I mean, it's just, it's night and day. I mean, you, you just, you're pretty much starting over and a guy with as much experience um, in the sport as he has, it was nice to be able to talk to somebody and someone be honest with us about everything. And it just so happened, you know, that that night, I mean, we were talking about maybe buying a spare car he had, but it just so happened that night he actually got in that bad accident where he got injured. Um, and I believe, I don't know, about a week later he called us and he's like hey what do you guys think about owning a whole team <laughs> and that was not you know that was not in the financial picture at all i mean we were just looking at kind of a roller i mean just it, it all kind of just fell into place and we made it happen and it, it's kind of a cool story i mean how it started and now where it's at it's just it's it's pretty cool Definitely a, a cool story. And, and speaking of bad accidents in a sprint car, like a, a lot of sprint car drivers may probably have throughout their career, I think you've already had one. Can you uh, kind of tell us a little bit about that experience as, as we're all getting geared up for the Lane Automotive Safety Summit coming up next weekend? Well, um, I believe three I think, years ago now. Yeah, um, it's, I think it's been that long, right? The I-96 incident? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't feel that long. It's, I guess, uh, what everybody says about growing old fast is actually <laughs> true. Um, but no, that was a World Outlaw event, um, and we, by no means, I mean, we've had good stuff and good equipment, but just our 410 program isn't nearly up to par, or it wasn't up to par enough to really run up front with the World of Outlaws. You know, and it, and it stru you struggle when you're out there qualifying and your motor's down, you know, whether it's 80 horse or 100 horse, I and mean, you don't really know. And you're trying to just get that starting position, and we could never, we never had the motor program to be able to do that. So we're just kind of doing them races, you know, as kind of a, a weekend filler. I mean, yeah, we're there to be competitive, but it's super hard, especially on a track like I-96, to even be competitive. Mm. But... Uh, we were fast that night, and, I mean, as fast as I think our financial abilities would let us be, um, and the race was going good, finally got, I mean, we were stuck in the back, and that's just, 
starting positions, everything, especially on a track like that. And it's tough to move forward, you know, with your out horsepower. But the leaders came around, and I don't know exactly what position. I think I was in like 16th or something like that. And the leader passed me going down the straightaway on the inside and slid up just before the entrance of turn one. And all the air come off the front of the car, and the car went straight into the wall, you know, wide open. And that was, thankfully, that could have been, you know, thankfully it wasn't as I wasn't injured, and it could have been a lot worse than it actually was. But that was, I mean, an impact like that definitely, it's kind of a night opener, actually, to be honest with you, is, you know, how serious something like that can be. I mean, I was not hurt, but I was beat up pretty bad and concussion and stuff like that. But, you know, it's it's in, definitely an eye-opener. The that, and just be like, you know, that's how easy it is to, uh, you know, be involved in something like that. I mean, it, it just happens so quick that you don't even know it's happening. Yeah, and that was one of those crashes too, where you know, a lot of people didn't realize that it had happened uh, until the caution waved, and everybody kind of went, "What, you know, what's going on?" Well, they didn't realize that you had pancaked your car and flipped it off the top of turn one. Did you realize uh, at the time? how serious of an accident it was that you had just had. And uh, did you realize then, you know, how how much you had to thank your safety equipment for being able to walk away from that? I pretty much do right off that, the bat. I mean, that's the initial side impact into the wall was worse. Um, you know, my next-gen device and all my other, my butler-built seat and seat belts and all that stuff did perfectly, but... Uh, with a side impact like that, I mean, there's only so much that I guess a seat pad can do on your ribs and, right. you know, shoulder and, and hip. And that was the worst part about that accident. But, I mean, I've been in my fair share of mishaps in open wheel racing, of course. But that was that was one of those wrecks that just really didn't seem like it was going to end. And I've seen the video a million times since then. And really, it was only a three four second crash but it just seemed like it was never going to end but i can't express you know how happy i am to have the best of the best safety equipment in that scenario i mean that could have been way worse if it you know if we didn't spend the money where it needed to be spent in safety equipment well that's and that's great to hear and that's so so important and part of the goal of the lane automotive safety summit uh, coming up on March 7th at Lane Automotive is it, it's all about education from different safety manufacturers and, and safety workers, promoters, racers, and just sharing those ideas, experiences, and ways to improve. And so you've, as we just said a little while ago, have been in this for quite a while now. Have you seen a perspective change, maybe a, a little more uh, people taking safety, maybe a little more seriously, putting more into their car as, as the years have progressed here in our area? I would say so, yes. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in cars are always just going to get faster and faster and faster. I mean, yes track records kind of are still, you know, a lot were set in the early 2000s, but motor-wise, you know, building more horsepower in these engines. Um, I, but I think the thing that keeps everything intact is chassis builders are doing everything they can, you know, to, to keep these cars safe and be able to take it, you know, an impact and actually give a little bit 
But I think a lot of the accidents between, you know, world of outlaw scene or just local scene, you see those bad accidents. And I, and I think a lot of people, I think that hits home when they see it, you know, in their own industry, so to say, you know, instead of out of, in a different type of racing. And I think that kind of gives people a realization of, Hey, I mean, let's spend an extra thousand here on the safety instead of the car performance. I mean, that's tough to do. Trust me. I mean, you want to put all your money into making that car fast, (laughs) but, and I don't think I've ever, I mean, even indoor racing and micro sprints. I mean, I ran a full containment seat just because, I mean, why not? What, what's it going to hurt not to run it? And I've, been in that scenario to where now, I mean, that crash at I-96 is the worst I've ever had, but crashes like that and other crashes, I know for sure that I wouldn't buy anything but the best all across the board. I mean, fireproof suits, neck devices, helmets, seats. It just, I think a lot of people are opening up to the safety thing, and I, I'm glad to see that. And it sounds like, too, you know, you talk about the indoor scene and, and how it can be kind of easy to lapse on some of that stuff, but uh, right now our racing has always kind of put that at the top, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's just, if I can't get back in a car next weekend because I'm hurt, it wasn't really worth it, you know? Right. So that's, thankfully, I've never been seriously injured in a race car. I mean, I've broken bones of doing less you know, things that you wouldn't think would bite you. But it goes back to that same thing of, you know, people I think lack when they think of, okay, you know, I'll use my indoor mini sprint as an example. We're not going crazy fast, but there's always that, you know, freak accident. There's always a freak accident to where, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're going slower or, you know, you're not on big tracks. The worst can always happen. So it's just... I like to see when guys, you know, are buying new safety equipment, and I just think it's a great idea. And I think we talk about safety equipment. And the funny thing was I was actually talking to one of my fellow racers today about um, an actual racing suit, and it's just funny that you guys brought that up because we were talking about SFI ratings and stuff like that and, you know, what we should go with. But safety, I think, always needs to be, you know, the number one. So. Well, it's always great to have advocates of, for, for safety, whether it is track workers, manufacturers, or racers like yourself. And speaking of being advocates and, and promoting uh, a little bit, as we were talking to Tom Deary about a little while earlier, similar question but different perspective. So promotion as, as a race team and uh, doing things uh, not only for your team but for the, for the sport, raising awareness and, and promoting the events that you're racing at. Do you, just right now we're racing, do you have a plan for that with your sprint car team here this year? Do you, what, what are some things that you guys do to promote the sport? Well, I mean, is that the safety aspect or just the sport in general? Just the sport in general. Well, always just Social media is big now, um, and I, I think really look thought long and hard about social media. I mean, it's tough when you have a bad night to even get on social media and even want to talk about how the night went. Um, but it's, I think it's very important to be up on social media. You know, a lot of people, whether it's because you're too far away or they simply you know don't have the money to go to the race that weekend, I think 
showing people kind of what they're missing out on is, you know, a big thing. And I tell you, when we go to a track like I-96, it's only 40 minutes from home. I am surprised by the number of people that I know just from around my town that are actually there. And, you know, I always try my best to, when they are there, thank them for being there. I mean, without them there, we're not there. So whatever I can do, I mean, around our hometown, I try to go to car shows. It's hard sometimes with work schedules and stuff, but try to go to car shows or just events. And it's kind of humbling because a lot of the times people are asking us to bring one and, and if we can bring it, we're going to bring it just to try to promote the sport. And it's important to, you know, people my age or even younger to get them involved in it. And I, I don't think I've ever brought anybody to a race that hasn't wanted to come back. So that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think a lot of the problem with is just people aren't educated on what actual, you know, some of this racing is. A lot of people, I think, see it as just a go kart. So I mean, it's pretty that, pretty big go kart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I get that a lot. I mean, people still think I'm racing a go kart, and that's our way back when I was racing quarter midgets. So, I mean, educating people, and a lot of the times when people go to the races, I'll see them, you know, the next week, and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, they just can't believe what happened," and and they just. I think it's more exciting to those kind of people. They're used to, I mean, they're NASCAR fans or whatnot, or maybe not even NASCAR fans, but it's just a different kind of thing that hasn't been publicized, I don't think, enough. You know, like MAV-TV is putting it out there now, sprint car racing, late mile, you know, all kinds of racing now. And I think that's helping, but I think that's where it's lacked over the years is only people know about NASCAR. So that's... I'm just, if I can bring as many people to the track as I can, I'm going to. Well, and, and an exciting opportunity. I think over the past couple of weeks, you've seen how many fans you do have uh, that really wanted to get you back out on the racetrack. Um, what has that been like for you to see that support, even without a ride, how people have come through uh, the excitement of you finding a ride and the, you know, the disappointment that led up to that of you not being behind a car this year? What was that, uh, what was that like for you? Well, it's it's very humbling to say the least. I mean, it's people that have followed me, whether it's six months or ten years. I mean, I just can't I can't express how thankful enough that we are as a team to have that support. And you know, people I've actually had people out there, you know, contacted people like, "Hey, you need to put him in this car. You know, <laughs> you need to put him in that car." And it's really humbling because people don't have to do that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. they're taking time out of their day, you know, whether it's being on social media congratulating or um, trying to get, you know, me back in a seat no matter what kind of car it is. It, it's really humbling, and um, it's nice to see. It's 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 kind of a confidence booster, so to say, when you see all the people that are there to support. Well, you know, and you think the, the biggest thing i have is when you have a bad night you think oh great let the supporters down you know but they're still there the next weekend and that's that's awesome well as we wrap up our interview uh you know we we kind of uh went down uh the, the the history path a little bit but exciting stuff here in 2020 with you getting teamed up with greg wheeler what are the what do the plans look like? Uh, you know, is this uh, brand new equipment? Did he did he actually buy your equipment? What are you going to be racing this year, and where are you going to be racing this year? Well, um, Greg actually did not get any of our equipment. 
but I would say I've been down there looking at the cars. I don't. I think it's going to work out great. His cars are pretty much identical to the same way I've had mine set up the last four years, being chassis wise, the same motor builder, um, and same kind of shock setup. Everything's kind of just staying right to the point. I mean, right where I've been comfortable with it. And, um, you know, obviously I'll be working with the crew chief, Robert Flanagan, and we worked together before and we worked fine. So it's just going to get back to, you know, getting in sync with each other and communicating. But in aspect of equipment, we're fine there. Um, It's super humbling to see where we've been kind of lacking the last couple of years, which was our motor program. I mean, he's it's good equipment, and he keeps everything up to date. And I just think it's going to be—I think it's going to work out great. And I'm super thankful for the opportunity. And we plan on running all 360 Great Lakes Super Sprint races. And now, shortly, seeing the sod scenario, um, that kind of changes the 410 plans a little bit. But if we can get that 410 out, and whether it be a fast show or maybe an all-star or outlaw loco show, you know, we're going to try to make it or open Butler show, but we're just going to try to, you know, we're going to focus on the 360 and really focus on that and try to get Greg a championship um, and go from there with the 410 stuff. That's kind of just hit or miss with that. All right. Well, Chase, uh, we're glad to hear that you got into a ride and uh, looking forward really to seeing what you're going to be able to do here in 2020. So good luck with everything. Thanks, guys. I greatly appreciate it. Well, it actually uh, kind of happened by accident. We got a little hung up on the safety side of things with uh, Chase Ridenauer, which we'll talk about again coming up in just a moment. But racing action that you can be a part of this weekend, thanks to a little bit of television, uh, Arca, Arca Race again, as we said earlier in the program. It's race season. Yeah, it's, it's here. It is it's way happening. underway. <laughs> it's, uh, it might not be in Michigan. I see our neighbors next door have their barbecues out today. It's a nice day, so it's got to be close. But uh, but no, this weekend, Friday night, I'll definitely be tuning into Fox Sports. Sports 1 for the Arkham Menard Series race from Phoenix. Then Saturday, we're all going to be very, very busy. Horsepower happenings included. Yes. We're going to be down at the Lane Automotive Safety Summit. That starts at 9 o'clock Saturday morning. Goes about uh, 2, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. All sorts of different stuff happen at Lane. If you're a promoter, safety worker, crew member, driver, basically you're involved in motorsports, it's a place you should really look at being coming up this Saturday. Even if you're a fan and you're thinking, well, I'm just a fan. First off, Lane Automotive is a building you have to see. Their their showroom is amazing. Um, But you're going to get a chance to kind of see. This is open to the public. It really Mm -hmm. is. So you can learn more about the industry. Uh, You can shake hands with some drivers. There's going to be, including Motor City Racing Promotions, there's going to be chance to see some behind the scenes stuff at the summit um we're loading up the family whole operation and taking it on saturday uh including a really cool piece that uh, i think we do a really good job with and that's our command center that helps keep everything we do intact yeah and they, we got a crew out in the shop here working and, and getting that ready to go for this weekend but just some of the specialty equipment that we're going to have there like our suppression system our custom made toe straps to hook a late model stock car as mm-hmm. quick as possible uh and then of course just all the safety gear and and not just ours but other organizations like the kalamazoo track service team is going to be there and uh steve sinclair is going to be there from k and k insurance racing electronics for ear molds seat belts 
helmets, uh, you name it. I think it's going to be a, a really cool experience for, for anybody that's, uh, that, that wants to check it out. There's going to be race cars there, drivers there. You can even meet Zach Heiser there. Woohoo! Hey, check that out. Um, and, and again, we are going to uh, talk to some really interesting people. Watch our social media for more about that because uh, Lane and KTS and MCRP uh, and everybody that's collaborated on this have gone all out to get some real industry professionals in there. We're going to chat with them and uh, we're going to bring you that coverage. Uh, Saturday morning, actually, before the show starts, we'll bring you some coverage and then look for more of that next Monday night. Um, but uh, we talked about racing on Friday. It doesn't stop there as far as the racing action that's coming up in no, the near future. No, it doesn't. Of course, the cup race is from Phoenix this uh, Sunday, March the 8th, and then the following weekend, March the 14th, ARCA, Pensacola 200 from Five Flag Speedway. That's going to be a good one. And dirt action up north or Midwest, I guess, get started here really quickly. Thaw Brawl, March 27th, March 28th from Lee County Speedway in Iowa. And then don't forget, Motor City 200 kicks it all off. Jeg CRA All-Stars Tour, Victory Custom Trailer, CRA Junior Late Model Series. <laughs> Got it all in. And modifieds for the first time in a long time, Flat Rock Speedway, Saturday, April 25th. You made it through your first broadcast, but it won't be your last because Rich isn't coming back next Monday either. So uh, we got your practice run in the books. Uh, be sure to watch our social media, Facebook and Twitter. Log on to HorsepowerHappenings.com. Share with your friends, and we'll see you Saturday at the Lane Automotive Safety Summit. For Scott Menlin, I'm Zach Heiser. Have a great rest of your You've week. you listening to Horsepower Happenings on the Motor City Racing Network. Catch up on past episodes by logging on to HorsepowerHappenings.com. And be sure to tune in next week to keep up on what's happening.